Well, it looked like such fun having you stand. I thought about having you stand for the sermon, but that would not be good, would it? I'm kidding. I am so grateful to be here. This was a wonderful, wonderful place for me. Uh, I am a person who, for whatever reason, uh, I have a tendency to be, when I go, I'm gone. I, I have never had a lot of feelings about the place where I grew up, uh, about the college I attended, though I learned a lot there, but I've always had a lot of feelings for this place because I came uh, not knowing the names of the books of the New Testament and left capable of pastoring a church. And this place taught me to love Jesus Christ, uh, to love His Word, to love the church as an organization, to love the people of the church. And it has been, if, if anyone had told me when I was called into the ministry that it could have possibly been as much fun to do as it has been, I wouldn't have believed them. And it has been a wonderful, wonderful calling. So I'm very grateful to this school for what it taught me. There have been things I've needed to do as a pastor that have been fairly easy for me to do because they fit my gifting, my, my interests, my, uh, my passions, uh, and they avoid my weaknesses and my dislikes. Uh, I like leading. I like developing people. I like making administrative decisions. I love studying the Bible. Uh, I love reading the Bible. I love teaching and preaching, and those are all things that that I would gladly do for nothing. Uh, but there are things that are also equally necessary for me and for all of you uh, that have been harder for me to do, and one of them is prayer. And I wish that were not true, but it is. And so I want to just begin right now by our praying together for a moment that what I'm going to say to you uh, from God's Word and from my experience will be useful to you. I would love for it to be useful to you for the rest of your lives, but if it is useful to you for the next week, that will be a good thing. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, would you please teach all of us to pray? Would you teach us to pray when we are happy? Would you teach us to pray when we are sad? Teach us to pray when we succeed and when we fail? Would you teach us to pray when we are uncertain and when we are confident? Would you teach us to pray no matter what? Teach us to pray at all times and in all things. Teach us to be people who come to you and know how to talk to you and find it as necessary to spend time with you in conversation as we do needing to eat, needing to breathe. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, my journey in prayer uh, began shortly after I was born again. I was 22 years of age. I was about two weeks from graduating from college. I started college as probably an agnostic. Uh, I, th I thought Christianity was extremely stupid and a major waste of time. And the Lord in His love for me put me in a room with the first truly born-again person I had ever been around. I'm sure I had known people in high school and, and uh, in my neighborhood who were born again, but He was the first person that I ever saw that it made a difference. And so over the period of our rooming together for four years in college, I saw that 
I've goofed off at college and gotten everything I wanted. He's worked very hard. Uh, he did not get anything that he wanted, and he was happy, and I was not. And I realized he has some, there's something in his life that I don't have, and it was Jesus. And I, I came to faith in him at 22, and the, my pastor taught me the need to pray. And it was, it was pretty easy for me to pray. I was driving a delivery truck, uh, waiting to go to boot camp in the Army Reserves uh, so I could get into law school. And, uh, and, and prayer for me was something that was fairly natural and normal. I did it just about every day. I, I could tell you the results of it. And then I came to seminary, and prayer began to be harder. But why do you think that was? It certainly is not because the seminary discouraged it. I think it was because suddenly something that was sort of the most wonderful hobby I had ever had, my Christian faith. I did it, I did everything about it because I wanted to and I needed to and not because I had to. And so for me, when I began hearing lots of messages about how to and you ought to and what will happen to you if you don't, suddenly the, the matter of obligation began to be involved. And for me, it made it difficult for me to pray. I went through periods of great inspiration about it, and I went through periods of discouragement and failure about it. I remember once hearing a sermon in chapel uh, about the importance of prayer, and a missionary named Praying Hyde was mentioned. And a story was told about him getting down on his prayer rug in the village where he was a missionary and praying for 14 hours without eating or drinking or doing anything else. And then he got out and walked through the village, and people fell at his feet in repentance to the Lord Jesus. And the question was asked, why can't you be that way? And I thought, indeed, why can't I be that way? So the next morning, I was at the prayer room in the dorm at 5 o'clock in the morning on my knees before the Lord. And I didn't have any thoughts that I could do it for 14 hours, but I thought, I can do it from now until it's time to go to my first class. So I got down on my knees at 5 o'clock and began to pray. And the next thing I heard was, Hello, is anybody in there? It was 6.30, and I had been asleep since probably about 10 minutes after 5 on my knees. And I thought, well, so much for being praying Hyde. Now, I have heard lots of messages, been to lots of conferences. Uh, I have read lots of books on the subject of prayer. Uh, I have been through periods in my life when it was extremely meaningful, and I've been through periods when it was a great struggle. And for the last two, about two and a half years of my life, it has been the most life-changing thing in my life. And so, as a 65-year-old, I learned some things about prayer that I had never known until that point. And I'd like to begin with a great passage of Scripture on prayer, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. And we're going to skip over the Lord's Prayer today and look at the principles that were involved in what Jesus taught rather than the prayer that Jesus taught. So let's begin with verse 1, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It came about that while he was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, 
teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. While I was at seminary, I uh, was going through one of my frustrated periods in prayer, and I heard about one of our professors who was supposed to be a great person of prayer. So I made an appointment to go and see him, and I sat down and said, I understand that you have a great prayer life, and he looked very uncomfortable. And uh, I said, um, I, I've been told that this is something that you really enjoy doing. He said, well, that's, that's certainly true enough. And I said, can you tell me what you do? He said, what do you mean? And I said, well, do you use a prayer list? Do you? And he said, a reluctant yes to all of those things. And I said, okay, well, is there anything else you'd like to tell me? He said, yes. Have you ever considered asking the Lord to teach you to pray? I said, honestly, I have not. He said, you might want to consider that. <laughs> that has been something that has stuck with me for the rest of my life. That's what the disciples did. Lord, we know from the disciples of John the Baptist that he spent time mentoring them in prayer. Would you teach us to pray? Jesus is the best teacher. He is a living Savior. Praying Hyde is not the best teacher. A professor is not the best teacher. I am not the best teacher. If I can point you to Jesus, and if you don't get anything else out of what I say to you today, if you understand He is the best one to teach you to pray for the rest of your life, I will have done you a great service. Jesus practices what I need and what the disciples needed. They were inspired to ask him to pray because they saw him praying. If he is the Son of God and he needed to pray, there is never a moment when you don't need to. So go to Jesus. He did pray. He knew how to pray. He knows your heart your personality, your struggles, your weaknesses, your strengths, and He can teach you to pray. By the way, this is a lifetime pursuit. You don't ask Him once, Lord, teach me to pray. It is a thing I've had to go back to over and over again. Don't be discouraged by the fact that you lose touch with what He taught you once and you need to come back for refreshment. They asked him directly and simply. They didn't beg, just, Lord, John the Baptist taught his disciples, would you teach me? It is not our much speaking that gets it done. It is the hurt in our heart, the hunger in our heart, the desire in our heart that really wants to learn to do this. Have you ever said, Lord Jesus, would you teach me to pray? Ask Him to teach you how you can pray now, where you are, what you are, who you are. And don't worry about whether it's going to work in 20 or 30 years. Lord Jesus, teach me to pray with my present struggles, gifts, and abilities. The second principle I'd like for you to see in this passage of Scripture is that in prayer, persistence is the key. Not passion, not length, not amount persistence. How willing are you to keep praying at something? In verses 5 through 9, he said, suppose one of you has a friend 
and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he shall answer and say, Don't bother me. The door has already been shut. The children are in bed. I can't give up and get up and give you anything. Well, he was already up. But anyway, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. He who endures to the end shall be saved. We make much of passion today. We made much of faithfulness when I was coming along. We have all of these words that we use to describe what we ought to do, and passion is important, faithfulness is important. But they are not mentioned in the Bible as great keys to success. Persistence and endurance are. And I read this passage of Scripture for years and took it to mean that because this man was beating on the door and being a pest and making lots of noise, he got in. And I thought, well, since the man behind the door represents the God to whom we are praying, not in character, but in our coming to Him with our need, uh, and, and does that mean that beating on the doors of heaven is somehow the key? No, it's the willingness to come back over and over, day after day, to exercise persistence. Jesus tells them persistence is the point of this parable. So be like this man. God is not like his reluctant friend, as he tells us at the end of this passage. But you are to be like the persistent one in your prayers. The third principle I find in this passage of Scripture is that faith keeps prayer from being frustrating. Verses 10 through 12, everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, he who knocks to him it shall be opened. Now suppose one of your fathers was asked by his son for a fish, will he give him a snake instead of a fish? No. If he's asked for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? No. Your faith will never disappoint you. But if prayer becomes a work, and you will always hear people talk about it, if you don't always pray with your wife, if you don't always pray in the morning or the evening, or if you don't always start with confession, or all of these formulas. And Jesus says, look, if you want to learn to pray, you've got to understand that the God behind the door in the parable is not like this man. He is a man who gives good gifts to those who love him. He is a God who cares for you and know what is, knows what is best for you. And if you have faith in him, it will keep prayer from being another frustrating activity in the ministry. If you are constantly judging the effect of your prayers by the rapidity or the effect of the answers, it will be frustrating. But if you judge the effect of your prayers by your faith in the one to whom you are praying, it will make a load of difference. It is unbelievable how willing I am to shift 
what God is so good at and is willing to be responsible for onto me who is so bad at so many things and incapable of being responsible for many of these things and the results of prayer are one of them the key to prayer is God it's not you it's not how well you do it and so as we pray our faith is not in our prayers our faith is in the God to whom we speak do you believe that you can trust him to care for you, to bless you, to see your needs, to know what you have need of before you speak it. Do you believe that he actually wants to give it to you? I love the verse that says, he is at work in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. I hear preachers talk that act like it is the biggest pain in God's neck to do for us. He loves it. He knew what he was getting into when he called us to himself. He knew what he was getting into when he claimed us as his children. And he claimed us anyway. Faith keeps prayer from being frustrating. One of the reasons that prayer is so wonderful is also the reason that it is so hard. It is the one thing in which my expertise has nothing to do with the outcome. Not true in preaching. What I've learned, what I've experienced makes me a better one or a worse one. Same with administration, same with Bible teaching and Bible reading, same with being a professor or a dean. Experience, it all matters. In prayer, only God matters. And so it is very difficult to want to keep doing something where you inherently know there is no credit in it for you. Finally, God is responsive and generous. Do you believe that? Verse 13, if then you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And elsewhere it says good gifts to those who who love him. God is responsive and generous. All of us have times when we wonder if God is listening, if he cares, if the Shekinah has left the temple, uh, if we will ever be blessed again, if we were truly called, we, we have those doubts. But God is responsive and generous. And the more we learn to judge our circumstances by the character of God instead of the character of God by our circumstances, the better off we'll be. Now, let me share with you some practices. Those are some principles that I think are eternal and universal. Let me share with you some practices uh, that I have learned over my life and many of them recently that have been a great deal of help to me. First of all, in my ministry, what I call prayer retreats have been extremely helpful. You're going to go through some times in your life uh, in serving the Lord when you are going to be not at a place where you need to make a slight change, but where you make a big change. Leave your church and go to a new church. Should you? I mean, I heard the dean say, it's wonderful that I've been at the same place for a long time. I've heard people act like staying the same place for a long time is good. 
it isn't. There are plenty of churches that are bad churches because ineffective pastors stayed for a long time. Unfortunately or fortunately, all churches and all ministries sooner or later reflect the character of the person who is the leader. So you don't have a right to decide whether uh, you have any business being, whether the church should reflect your character. The only choice you have is, is your character worth reflecting? Now, I do believe that Jesus is to be the Lord of the church, but I'm just telling you, effective longevity is what matters. And whether I've been effective or not is not for me to say. But I can tell you being effective over time is what really matters. And to do that, most ministry, most ministry changes are, are gradual and sort of arithmetic. You go from one to two and two to three and three to four. But there will also be times when you will go from four to 40, and those are scary. They're expensive. They require a lot of change in your heart and in the way you do things. And uh, you will wonder, should I do it? And I have not found a way to make those decisions other than to go off and to do what uh, a minister I admire named Randy Pope calls a 3P conference, which means pen, paper, and prayer. And so to go off, and I would add the Bible. So to go off and just spend as much time as you need to to get an answer, uh, to pray, to read the Scripture, to write notes, to pray, to take naps, to write Scripture, to, write, to, to read Scripture, to write notes until an answer breaks through. When we relocated our church, uh, I spent uh, a, a day and a half doing nothing but napping, reading the Bible, praying, writing. And at 1.30 the second day, I heard from God. And I told our church, I said, I want to tell you what I did in making this decision. The fact that I think I heard from God doesn't mean that you need to think I heard from God. But I do want you to know this is not just a ministry engineering decision. This is something that I have, into which I have put much prayer. And I told them the story. And uh, we had a unanimous vote to relocate. So prayer retreats for big decisions or at times when you feel like your spiritual life is kind of dead. Secondly, I believe there are two levels at which God answers our prayers. The first is sufficient faith, and the second is compelling certainty. Now, the compellingly certain answers to prayer are the ones that get you invited to evangelism conferences or to speak at chapel. The Lord broke through and gave me a certain answer, and away I went. I think I have had about 10 of them in my life. I went through a period of a couple of years of when I was with uh, every minister I knew that I had great respect for of asking them, how many times has God answered prayer for you with compelling certainty where you had close to no doubt and you had great drive to get it done? Uh, the highest answer I heard was six. And I've had about 12. And the reason I've had about 12, seven of mine came in the first year I was a believer. Remember, I was saved when I was 22. 
And so I was extremely ignorant, and the Lord in His mercy was kind enough to guide me with a firm hand at points that I needed it. It wasn't because God knows it was not because I was more spiritual or more deserving. So however many times it comes, just remember compelling certainty in my experience and the experience of the people I've talked with is fairly rare. What is not rare is sufficient faith. Lord, is this what you want me to preach about this Sunday? Well, you may be compellingly certain about what you preach about every week. I am not, but I do have sufficient faith so that I don't go in thinking, oh, I hope this is the right thing. And so sufficient faith is sufficient for most of the things that you will do in the ministry. And I have found that if my prayer life is consistent and persistent, that I will have sufficient faith to do most of the things that I will do. And when compelling certainty is necessary, it seems to come. Third, what do you do with a wandering mind? This is a big concern for just about everyone, and I'm at the point where I'm not sure I understand why it's a big concern. Is there anybody that you have a conversation with where your mind doesn't wander? <laughs> your mind is in the habit, is it not? My mind wanders when I'm preaching. Did, did, you saw it happen just a minute ago when I was fumbling with the words. I was off thinking about the trip back to Columbia this afternoon while I was talking to you. So why should I expect that the fact that I am talking, I would give myself permission to be what you are. But here are two things that work for me when it is a problem, when it's really hard for me to get down to the business of prayer. I read in some book by one of the great prayer masters to just have a piece of paper where you pray, and when your mind wanders, just stop praying, say, excuse me, Lord, and write down what it is that is making your mind wander and say, I'll get back to this when I'm finished praying, and that's a help to me some. What is the most help to me is to pray out loud. Some people write in a journal, but I find that my mind wanders about as well when I'm writing as it does when I'm praying silently. So praying out loud has been a major help to me. It is hard for me to speak out loud to God and have my mind take a major trip at the same time. Number four, it is very hard for me to be persistent and consistent without a prayer list. And I have had two different kinds of prayer lists, and the one that I'm using now has been very, very helpful to me for two years. I had the normal one where you begin with confession and then intercession and petition and thanksgiving and prayer, and at thanksgiving and praise. And I would make sure that I, I did each of those every time. And I think that's a good model, and if you're using that and it works for you, I would stay with it. I wouldn't change. Here is what I've been doing for the last two or two and a half years. Uh, I, I begin with confession every day, and I, and I start and say, Lord, you are welcome in my heart. If there's anything I need to agree with you about that is a sin, uh, I know some of them, but I would like for you to call it to my mind, and I will be glad to agree with you. Uh, and then I go to what I now call developmental prayer. 
And uh, I, it's, it's sort of like intercession. It's sort of like petition, asking God to help. But here are just some of them. This is my list. The steno pad was available. Nothing holy about a steno pad. But uh, here are some of the things that I am praying for on a regular basis. Lord, would you please give me empathy for complainers and critics? Uh, what to, to, to love and care for them. I mean, if I'm supposed to love my enemy, most critics and complainers have not risen anywhere near the level of enemy. So I ought at least to be willing to be empathetic and prayerful for them. So would you give me the ability to listen instead of fighting and defending? Uh, Lord, help me grant numbers the ability to teach me, numbers and successes and failures, the ability to teach me, but don't let them be an idol. And my definition of an idol is anything other than God that has the right to exalt you or condemn you. So, Lord, would you not let successes, failures, numbers cause me to think I am fabulous or I am a failure? Would you let me leave my life in your hands? Lord, would you keep me a soul winner? The bigger your church gets, the easier it will be for you to focus on an organization and not on people. Would you let me see the fields that are white unto harvest and not just do everything through people? Uh, Lord, would you help me to be encouraging and not judging in the way I interact with my staff, with my lay leaders, with the people that listen to me on Sunday morning? And I've got about, looks like I've got about... 20 things on that side of my prayer list. Uh, and then I have a number of people that I am praying for, and I have never enjoyed praying for people more. And the key to my loving my intercessory list is editing it. Don't be afraid to remove someone from the list. If the list becomes so long that you cannot face it, you will not be good at praying for anyone. Uh, a fifth practice that I am following is set a reasonable goal. Fourteen hours of prayer without any interruption is not a reasonable goal for me. If it is for you, I would love to meet you. And I'm serious about that. I'm not being sarcastic. There are people that are much better at this at prayer than I am. I'm probably better at some things than they are. It really doesn't matter. It isn't an excellence contest. It's an effectiveness and a faithfulness contest. So I would encourage you to set a reasonable goal. Mine is I want to pray focused prayer, not riding in the car, not doing something else, but sitting alone with God with no music on the stereo, with nothing else that I can pay attention to, paying attention only to God. I will never let myself do anything during my prayer that I would be ashamed to do in the face of somebody who is sitting in the room with me. If I have to blow my nose while I'm praying, I say, Lord, would you excuse me for a moment? I want to be as polite to him. I want it to be personal and not just talking. So set a reasonable goal, and mine is 60 minutes a week, 10 minutes a day for at least six days a week. Mine has, how much I do has naturally risen, but I will not increase my goal. I don't want it to become a performance thing. I want it to be a personal thing where I spend at least that much time weekly 
with the Lord. And I keep a chart. Every day when I get through praying, I write down the number of minutes that I prayed, and I keep up with it, and I total it up at the end of each week. That may ruin it for you. It has been very helpful for me, and this is my third year to do that. Set a reasonable goal for yourself, and finally, stay in grace in this and in everything else you do. Grace is not an excuse for not trying, but it is a great gift from God when we are doing our best and just have the sense that we could be doing better. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, our ministry requires so much performance, excellence, production, work, understanding the people that we seek to reach. Help us to be diligent in our works, but help us to understand that our spiritual lives depend on prayer, and life in the Spirit is life. Please, teach us to pray over and over that we may be people of prayer. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you.